Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you today, and uh, isn't it great again to be back together and to uh, be able to be in God's presence with one another? We're speaking, uh, or dealing, I guess I'm speaking, but we're dealing together with um, a topic that I recognize is um, maybe not natural for a lot of people. Maybe it's a little odd or unusual to be talking about spiritual warfare, uh, to, to be addressing the reality that, as we began last week, that, uh, um, well, what the Bible describes is that there's a war going on, spiritual warfare. And I think it's really significant that, uh, that that word is, inga- is, is used and it's employed to describe what uh, we're about. Um, there's the kingdom of God, which came in Christ, and there's the kingdom of darkness. And for a long, long time, there's this... There's been this battle between good and evil. It's not that God is equal to Satan. God reigns supreme above it all. But in the created realm, yeah, we believe that uh, we're, we're part of a struggle. You know, we believe in angels. That seems like an easy thing for us to believe. But to believe in what's called dark angels, demons, that's not something that's as easy to embrace for a lot of people. But there's a spiritual realm which we believe in, correct? We don't see God, but we believe in God. We don't see angels, but we believe in them. Well, we need to believe also in what the Bible describes when it describes dark angels and their influence in our lives. And we have to recognize that that influence puts us at odds with them and that we are in a battle, a war, spiritual warfare. I want to take you to um, Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. It's just a, a little phrase that captures this. You could do a, 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 a biblical study on this if you want. I, we don't have time to do that, but numerous places, this is what's described to us. But listen to this, after the dragon and the, the woman and the giving of birth, uh, and, of representing Christ and so forth. But it says, this, Then the dragon, representing Satan, was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Spiritual offspring. Those who keep God's commands... And hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Now, question for you. Is that you? Do you keep God's commands and hold fast to your testimony about Christ? If so, you and I are engaged in warfare. It's, it's the way the Bible puts it to us. And it's intended to be jarring, I believe. It's intended to wake us up to a spiritual reality, yes, which is unseen, but which is very real. So we're, we're going to dig into this, uh, again, this uh, again this week and then again next week to discover the reality of what it means for us. What do you do with this reality? What do I do? How do we manage this? What is our engagement of this? What I want to say to you today as we begin is that beyond anything else, we must engage it. We have to deal with it in a constructive and intentional and proactive way Otherwise, we're just left to suffer the consequences. Great illustration arises from uh, the, the novels that Tolkien uh, wrote, Lord of the Rings. Who's read or seen the movies, Lord of the Rings? You know, a lot of people have really loved them. And there's a scene where the wise old wizard Gandalf comes to King Theoden. Now, the king is old and he's tired, right? And Gandalf knows that the evil enemy is amassing its forces to come against the king. And his comment, Gandalf's comment to the king is, you must fight. He wants him to muster his armies and be prepared for the attack that is coming. 
Well, this is the king's reply. I will not risk open war. He wasn't willing to go there. I will not risk open war. To which Aragon, the young hero, the, the, the capable warrior, says this. Open war is upon you, whether you risk it or not. Do you hear that, people of Jesus? Open warfare is upon us, whether we risk it or not, whether we believe it or not, whether we recognize it or not. It's here. And you and I, we have an enemy who seeks our demise, who seeks to take everything that God wishes for us, all the blessings and all the goodness, the life that Jesus died to give us, and he seeks to diminish it and to destroy it so that we know the opposite and that we struggle and that we suffer. Now, I don't know how everyone reacts to what I'm saying today. I mean, this might be new to some of you. It might be something like, come on, Chris, let's get real. And what I'm saying to you is I'm trying to get real because <laughs> this is the reality which Scripture brings to us. And we must engage it <clears throat> if indeed we're going to know life and life abundant in Jesus. So we are going to look at this uh, this week particularly from what we are called to do. I'm talking about you and I'm talking about me and specifically how we engage this war, what's our role to play, what we are to do about it from a defensive position so that when an enemy comes against us, think of an army, an enemy coming against it, how to defend against an attack. And that's what the enemy does. He schemes and he attacks us and we have to know how to defend. Next week, we're going to learn how to go on the offense. And they're different things, all right? But they're both important for us to learn. I got to tell you this. Having preached this sermon once already, my only concern about what I'm going to tell you is there's so much here. I could probably, we're going to go to Ephesians 6, we're going to look at the different pieces of armor and what they mean literally to you and to me, how to put them on, which is the injun injunction of Scripture, put on the full armor of God. Uh, it's a lot of stuff, so I want you to stick with me, right? And, 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 I, and I hope that uh, this can be really meaningful to you. Probably I should have preached one sermon per piece of armor, but we're, we're not going to do that. Anyway, let me read to you Ephesians chapter 6. This is, is clearly about uh, defensive weaponry, as I'll describe as we go forward. And it says, verse 10 to 18, think about yourself, please. Think about what this means for your life. What are you going to do with this text which is given to us so that we might defend effectively against the attack of evil in our lives? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. All right? Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The helmet, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Now, we're going to jump into this. We're going to talk about each piece of armor. Okay, so you've got to stick with me. Deal? You're not going to drift? You're going to work hard today to understand God's word for you? And I'm going to try to help you understand how significant each 
element is and how to apply it to your life. Number one, then, is the belt of truth. Now, the, the belt that a Roman soldier would wear was um, foundational to other pieces of armor. In other words, ar other pieces of armor uh, was attached, were attached to it, rested upon it, like the bre breastplate of righteousness. And what we're going to see is that the truth of, 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 of God the belt of truth, it is foundational to all else. You'll hear me mentioning over and over again in each of these discussions about knowing God's truth. Secondly, not only is it foundational, secondly, it was all about identifying the soldier who wore it. So the belt literally would tell anybody who saw it what division, if you would, the soldier was a part of. If, if, if the soldier was part of the Praetorian Guard, it would be identified on the belt. So what we're talking about in very specific terms is the truth about our identity. Now, you need to know all the truth of Scripture. You need to know that there's a, a battle in, in the heavenlies and that there are angels and there are demons and that Christ has gained victory. And that All these things really, really important to know. But we need to know specifically about who we are in Christ. Now, what happens very, on, uh, very early on in life sometimes is that the devil tries to get us to believe things about ourselves that are not true. Again... The devil uses lies to cause us to stumble and fall, to harm us. Very often in, 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 in childhood, we are labeled in a particular way. We are told who we are, and we embrace that lie, if you would, to our detriment. Now, I'm a fine example. Each of you are also in your own way. But, you know, when I was young, I was given the title, the perfect child. How many of you think I was perfect? I'm glad you're not believing the... Oh, some of you are. <laughs> I wasn't perfect. Now, compared to my brothers, I was a saint. They were little holy terrors, right? My sister was more like me. Why are we the way we are? We don't know. But you know, I was a compliant kid. I, was, I, I wanted to please my parents and so forth. So this is the title that I was given. But you know what? Um, the reality is that that just wasn't true, but I embraced it as true. As I was told, if I'm told I'm perfect... I better be perfect. And that led to something in me for most of my life called perfectionism. And I want to tell you, perfectionism, and if you live by it, is, not, is a hard way to live. Because if you're not perfect, you're not good enough. I'm telling you, that's tough. And it's taken me a long time to break away. It's still there a little bit with me. But not, not so much. It's not as powerful because I've come to realize the truth of God and that is that I don't have to be perfect. I can live in the grace of God. I can fail. I can make mistakes. I can sin. But still the Lord loves me and, and accepts me because of what Christ has done on the cross. You understand that? Somebody gave me a little phrase uh, to use, a spiritual phrase it's called, to repeat to myself. And I did this for, for weeks and weeks and weeks and I honestly believe it changed my thinking. The idea is neuropsychology, we can change the pathways in our brains. This worked for me. Somebody said, Chris, say this to yourself every day. I don't have to be perfect because I am perfectly loved. Now, to me, that was a beautiful gift. Think about it. You don't have to be perfect because you are perfectly loved. And that love will never cease. This is the truth that we have to embrace. We have to put it on and allow it to govern our lives. Another example, I know a man who told when he was a child, you will never amount to anything. And that man has told me, he's well into the, his later years, I, I have lived most of my life trying to disprove, to, to disprove what was told to me as a child. And it led him to engage work in a way that was unhealthy, it was harmful to him, harmful to family, and so forth. You realize it often after the fact. 
But you see, he embraced that statement as true and he spent his life trying to disprove what he ultimately, ironically, in his own heart had accepted. My friends, we have got to figure out what lies the devil has taught us. Those things that he has weaved into our thinking regarding our identity. We've got to figure it out and we've got to apply the truth of God to those lives because it is the truth that will set us free. And that's a challenge for you. I don't expect you to be able to figure that out today, but I would encourage you to get at it. Who are you? Understand more than anything else, you are a precious child of God, loved by God, uh, given grace in Christ and His forever. You know, just a, another little slant on this. Luke chapter 4, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. In the first and third temptation, the devil comes along to Jesus and says, if you are the Son of God, do this. How did Jesus respond to that in his mind? Did he embrace the lie? No, because he knew the truth. He knew that he was already the Son of God. He didn't have to do anything to become the Son of God or to be recognized as such. And it was easy for him to resist the devil's attack. In the middle temptation, the devil says, I will give you authority if you do this. Now, what is the truth that Jesus knew that allowed him to, res to resist falling to the te devil's temptation? Well, what he knew is that all authority has been given to me by my father, Jesus said. All authority was his, and he knew it. Why would he do what the devil told him to do if he, if he, if he already had all authority? You see it? My friends, we've got, to, we've got to discover the truth of God. We've got to apply it to our lives, particularly when it comes to identity. And we will be able to blow the devil off, if you would. We're not, we're not going to buy in to his temptations or into his lies anymore. So number one, foundational. Belt of truth. Next, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, a soldier would wear the, this, this breastplate. It would cover his abdomen, uh, protect his vital organs. And so if a sword came or a spear came, it would have no effect on him. He would be safe as a result. Now, what, what does this mean for us? It's the breastplate of righteousness. We have to put it on. We have got to get to a place of righteousness so as to be able to repel the attack of the enemy. Now, I want us just to briefly deal with these, this reality. There's an internal ra uh, righteousness that we need to seek, which will produce an external righteousness in our lives. Jesus said a good tree will produce good fruit. A bad tree will produce what? Bad fruit. Thank you. Right? Uh, you know, this is the dynamic. And if we will focus on the internal reality, our lives will change externally. It's a given. What's, what happens within us, though, is this, that there is often an internal unrighteousness. Some people call it having attachments to other things. I think biblically we would refer it to, to, to being engaged in idolatry, which is unrighteous before God. You know, there are things, created things that we look to, to to meet our needs, things that we think we need in order to know life. And when we put those as priority in our lives... We're not, we're not giving Jesus that place in our life and looking to him to provide for us the life that we are longing for. You know, about a year ago, I'm guessing, I did a series on the five core needs. I asked the first service if anybody remembered what they were. Nobody knew anything. Now, I don't know whether you will enough, so I'm not going to ask you. But, the, but they were, we, we have core need of love, security, significance, belonging, and purpose. And those are the ones I chose, and they're, and they're critical to us. We all need those needs met in order for us to be fulfilled and to live the life God wants us for us to have. But sometimes, you know, for example, when we look to an individual person, a created thing, in order to provide the love we need in life, uh, that becomes idolatrous. 
We should look only to Jesus. He is the one. He is the only one who can meet our need for love. He will never fail us. Human beings will. It's a given reality. And we've got to turn away from the created to the creator and have our need met in him. Secondly, security. You know, Jesus made the point about not laying up treasure on earth. He said, if you put money away, it can be stolen and it'll rust as it could in that day. It can just disappear. Don't think you're secure because you've got money in the bank. Think you're secure because you are a child of God and I've got you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will provide for your needs. I am with you always. That makes us secure. And that truth allows us to turn away from the created thing. Last one, significance. Well, look at the car I drive. I've got the status symbol. Look at the house I live in. Look at the clothes I wear. If we think we're getting significance out of those things, we will, we will be sorely um, disappointed because our significance, is, according to the truth of Scripture, is that we are precious children of God. And if we can live according to that reality, put on this, 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 put this truth into our minds so that we can put on a righteousness internally, we will look to Jesus for our love, for our security, for our significance, for our belonging, for our purpose. And you see, we will turn away from an unrighteousness that dishonors God. My friends, the reality in the end of the day is that we have got to come to that place where our hearts are right Think right versus righteousness. Right before God. Because we are not worshiping the created thing. We are worshiping the Lord and the Lord only. And when we get that right, when we're living out of that dynamic, the devil will not have the opportunity to attack us and to harm us and to, and, and, and to destroy the work of God in us. Rather, the, the work of God will continue to bloom and to prosper and we will know life in Jesus. Now, already I'm, I've realized this. I've gone through the first steps. But I, I, I want in each of these steps for you to think, what does this mean for my life? What am I looking to that I really feel I need in order to do well? Things that, that I can't live without. Think of an addiction. Addiction to food, addiction to sexuality, addiction to drugs or to alcohol, whatever it might be, to work. You know, I have to have, I have to have this because if I work like a maniac, then I'm significant and I get the toys, right? You know, we, we look to food sometimes as when teenager said in a movie, I'm eating my emotions. It's making me feel better. I need this to make me feel better. Jesus said, all your, the scripture says, all your deepest needs can be met in me. These are surface dynamics we seek, but what we really need is to have our needs met in Jesus. All right? Let's get righteousness internal. It'll flow, and we will be freed from the attacks of the enemy. Number three, we have to be filled with a readiness. There's the key word that comes from the gospel of peace. This is a reference to the sandals these soldiers would wear. And it was all about, essentially, how they would be made mobile in the defensive posture. There was obviously a very strong sole uh, under their feet, but, but the lacing, if you would, that came over the top was specifically designed for their mobility. So they could move forward, they could move back, they could move side to side to do whatever was required to be uh, standing firm in the end. Well, what does this mean for us? Well, what it means for us is that we've got to be ready to move. We've got to be ready to act so as to live according to the gospel of peace. Now, I've said to this congregation lots, uh, not directly, but I think in the last year or so, we've got to focus in on Matthew 18. But Jesus said, if, if you've wronged somebody, no, if someone has wronged you in Matthew 18, sorry, go to them. Tell them about this. They may or may not know. Hopefully, by God's grace, there can be forgiveness and reconciliation and so forth. That's living according to peace. Matthew 5 says, if you've done the wrong, if you've hurt somebody, offended somebody, wronged somebody, go to them. 
And again, the, the idea is ideally reconciliation. And if not that, as close as you can get to what the Lord wants. You see, we are to create peace. And when we can, can create peace in a relationship, we are defended. Now, what if we don't? You know, what if, what if I have anger in my heart toward you because you've wronged me and I do nothing about it? Well, here's the deal. Ephesians chapter 4. Do not give the devil a foothold by sinning in anger. Not anger is a sin in itself, but if you have a tendency because of your anger to sin, you're giving the devil what it describes as a foothold, a place of belonging. It's almost like he has the right to be in our lives. An opening is given to him because we are not doing what we need to do, A, to get righteous internally, and B, in this instance, to reconcile with people. My friends, we have got to work toward peace. We have got to take the, the steps that are required to bring peace in our relationship. If we do, the devil will not have a foothold. The devil will not have a way in uh, uh, to, toward our vulnerabilities. Can you think of it right now? Can you think of anybody in your life that you either need to approach because they've wronged you or, or, or you need to approach because you've wronged them? That'll, that'll give you a solid standing in the spiritual realm. Number four is the shield of faith. Now, the Roman shield was big. It was basically the size of the Roman soldier's body. And of course, very protective as a result. Anything could come flying toward them, these flaming arrows that are described here in Ephesians 6. They would hit the shield because the shield was, was covered in leather. The flaming arrow would be extinguished. If it wasn't, the wooden shield would probably catch on fire and you'd have a problem. But the idea is that the devil will shoot things at us. It'll, he'll shoot lies at us. He'll shoot condemnation at us. You know, he'll shoot gossip and we'll hear about it, and criticism and all these things. The devil will do what he needs to do to throw us off track. But if we have the shield of faith in front of us, none of it's going to get through. And we're not going to be harmed. What we need to do is recognize that the devil will attack us in our own personal areas of vulnerability. Now, how the devil will attack me and does will likely be different than how he attacks you because he knows my vulnerabilities and he knows your vulnerabilities. He knows what, if you would, really pushes your buttons. He knows what really throws you off track. But let me illustrate from my perfectionistic history. I call myself a recovering perfectionist, by the way. I don't do it very much, but occasionally I let myself because it feels good when it doesn't really matter, okay? <laughs> but, you know, perfect people can't make mistakes. Did you know that? To make a mistake and have it acknowledged particularly by other people is incredibly difficult for a perfectionist. Because it says, not only do you do something wrong, there's something wrong with you. So when criticism has come my way, it's a hard thing for me to process because it's a very public or, or, or personal recognition that I'm not perfect in the way that I have to be perfect to be okay. My friends, I want to tell you what we need to do again is grapple with what is true so that faith might arise. You know what the truth is in my life now? I don't have to be perfect because I'm perfectly loved. So when criticism comes my way or I actually make a mistake and other people see it, it can be hard for me still, but it's not what it once was. See, I have the truth, which allows me to have faith in what God has said to be true, protects me from harm in a very personal and in a very real way. So, what are your vulnerabilities? Where do you need to apply God's truth so you actually believe it to the core of your being so the enemy can't get that arrow through to harm you, 
to hurt you, to disturb you, to keep you from life in Jesus as the way, in the way Jesus wants it to be. All right, next one. Helmet of salvation. We're going to just be brief on this one, but it covered the head, <laughs> obviously. And this really is a matter of, of protecting the mind and the will. The, the idea is that sometimes um, in our minds, we make agreements with evil. And I've described those to you in my life already. I agreed with evil that I needed to be perfect. I heard this, and unconsciously, as a child, I said, okay, I need to be perfect. My friends, when we in our thinking are agreeing with the lies that the devil speaks to us in whatever form, at whatever age, we're going to come to a place of being vulnerable and it's going to harm us. And what we have to do ultimately is recognize the lies that we've been told which we have agreed to. And that'll only happen as we engage the truth of God. And we have to renounce those agreements. We have to actually verbally, speak against them, renounce them uh, uh, to, to the kingdom of darkness. And we need then to embrace the truth of God. What are your mental agreements that you have made with the enemy? These are important questions. They're not easy questions to answer. And I want you to go away and I want you to be thinking about these things. This, this, this sermon will be on our website. And you can go to it and think about it more if need be. But I'll tell you, if we can recognize and renounce those inner vows, those, 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 those agreements of the mind, we will break free from the power of evil. We'll be less vulnerable than we have been in the past. Number six, the sword of the Spirit. Now this one I love. You're going to know why too in a minute. But this is the Bible. The Bible is referenced as the sword of the Spirit in various places. Um, and we have to recognize for the Roman soldier, the, the, the sword that the soldier that was... the uh, uh, chained to Paul, who was there to, to, to guard him, essentially, held a short defensive sword. It was a defensive sword. They, the Romans had longer swords for offensive action. And, and what's going on here is that um, what we need to do is to wield this sword against any enemy which comes against us. They attack us, you use it. Think again of Luke chapter 4. Jesus is tempted by the devil three times. Hey, study this passage this afternoon if you want to dig into this a little more. The, the parallels are fantastic. But, but Jesus was tempted three times uh, in the desert I have described. And each of those tempt temptations he responded to by um, using Scripture. You know, three times the devil spoke, Jesus quoted Scripture. All from Deuteronomy, interestingly enough. I would think for, for, for his time of... Of fasting in the wilderness, he had been reflecting on Deuteronomy. It was in him. It was in his mind, right? He was aware of the truth of God, and he knew its power in the face of the enemy. And each time the temptation fell away and the devil was powerless, and in the end, he left Jesus alone. Resist the de devil and he will flee from you. How do you resist the devil? By using the truth of the word of God. Now, I'm going to read... Uh, Psalm 119, verse 11 to you. Psalm 119 is entirely about the Word of God. If you want to know about it, dig in there and enjoy it a little bit. But it, it says this. I'm going to read you verse 11. This is a verse I memorized as a child. I don't know why or where, probably in children's ministry as a young child. Uh, uh, this is just in my mind. This is, this is part of how I think. Right? It's, it's not hard to call this up because I know the verse. But anyway, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
I have hidden my word, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Jesus had hidden the word of God from Deuteronomy in his heart that he would not sin against uh, God, his Father, even when the devil himself tempted him in power. And here's my point to you, my friends. If you do not know the word of God, you cannot use it in defense mode. If you do not know the word of God, you can't wield the sword. It's like a Roman soldier having a sword, the enemy attacking, but he doesn't bother to pick up his sword to fight back. Now, do you want to be in that circumstance or not? Here's the deal. we got to know Scripture. I've told you before, over a number of years now, that the church in North America is biblically illiterate. And I hope, because I've said that so often, that you have long ago now started studying Scripture and reading it daily and seeking God's truth in it. Because, listen to me, as I've told you often, Scripture is a powerful, powerful spiritual weapon. Now listen to if you want to defend against the enemy, you need to know the Bible. Could you make an agreement right now in your mind that you're going to give yourself to knowing it and memorizing it? I mentioned the comment about how I memorized this as a child for a reason. And I thank my parents and my Sunday school teachers or whoever it was that got me to memorize that because it's a blessing and it's a spiritual tool, a powerful tool I can now use as necessary. My friends, we need to know the Word. And then lastly, it's not technically a piece of armor, but Paul concludes by saying, pray in the Spirit um, and in, 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 with all kinds of prayers. Now what he's suggesting is that we pray... Um, uh, led by the Holy Spirit of God. And I, I'm just going to very briefly deal with this because I think I dealt with it last week quite a lot. And if you will hear, you'll, you'll remember the story of Elisha and, and the army that came against him from the, the king of Aram. And, and he prayed and his, his servant's eyes were open to see the defensive uh, angels and, and, and weaponry and, and so armaments that God had provided to keep them safe. But then what did Elisha do in order to defeat the enemy? My friends, what will you do in order to defeat the enemy? Well, what Elijah did was pray to God and said, God, blind them all. And in a moment, that powerful force, I'm quoting the text, was blinded. They couldn't see a thing. Blind soldiers can't fight. They were left vulnerable. And the, and, and, and the threat was gone. I want to tell you, my friends, as the Word of God is spiritual, spiritually powerful, so is prayer in the name, prayed in the, authority of, uh, prayed in the name of Jesus and by His authority. And we'll talk more about that next week. And it is yours to deploy. You see, reading Scripture and prayer, it's not just a fun thing. It's not just a nice pastime. It enables us to engage the enemy of our souls who want, who, who want our destruction, who want to ruin our marriages, make them at least miserable, keep them from the joy and the blessing that God intends them to be, who want to attack our children and tear them from faith and cause harm in their lives. Everything I spoke of a week ago, we've got to, we've got to take hold of what God has given to us, which enables us to fight and in the end to stand firm. Someone has said this, I, I, I noted it many, many years ago, that uh, no one really knows or learns how to pray until they know and realize they have an enemy. 
And you know what? The more I've thought about it, the more I believe it's true. When you realize you have an enemy who engages you almost on a daily basis, sometimes in greater measure than at others, obviously, you will get on your knees because you realize you are dependent on God's grace and on God's power and on God's spirit working within you to reveal truth, to provide to you the courage to make peace, to, to give to you the faith that is required, etc., etc., so that you might effectively engage the enemy. My friends, what is prayer to you? You know, something that you whisper as you're falling in bed at night, or is it an engagement with God whereby He empowers you to live the life that you are called to live and I am called to live uh, in order to deal with our enemy? In the end of the day, I want to finish this way. Daily, my friends, put on the armor of God. This isn't just some sort of, it's not just some sort of um, analogy that God gives to us in Scripture. He's saying, put it on. Act. Intentionally do this very thing. And if you will put on truth and righteousness and faith and, you know, the mind of God and, and the intention of God in your heart, if you're going to take hold of the sword of the Spirit, if you're going to pray, all these things that we've described, I think I might have missed one, but if you'll do these things, you in the end will stand firm. Let me put it this way, you in the end will be strong and powerful for God. And you will repel even the work of the devil in your life. I'm going to read to you uh, just as we conclude. The, uh, Ephesians 6, um, verse 10 and 11. And I want you to listen to this. And I want you to know this can be you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. You can be strong in the Lord according to the mighty power of God. Not your own. Not the way salvation is. It's never about us. It's about God. And then it says this. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. One given is that those schemes are being worked against you in various ways and in various times. The simple question is, what will you do to prepare for the attack? Final comment. I told you the story from Lord of the Rings earlier. Who do you want to be? You want to be the old, weak King Theoden who wasn't ready to go to battle, wasn't willing to engage the evil force? Or do you want to be the young, skilled, powerful warrior Aragon who was able to defend himself and in the end to defeat an enemy? I hope and I trust that you long to be strong in the Lord according to his mighty power because if you will put on the armor of God day after day after day, if you will pray for it, God, give me truth. God, help me to be righteous, especially internally. God, show me who I am in terms of identity. God, you know, give me faith. Help me to apply your word where I most need it and so on. You will be that strong warrior who will overcome the enemy who wants to destroy your life. Let's pray. Gracious God, uh, we want to be the people you call us to be. And what you call us to be in this instance is to be, to be mighty according to your power. You want us to be strong. You want us to be able to <clears throat> defend against the enemy when that attack comes, the, the actual scheme of the devil, um, which, which he intends to bring harm into our lives. And you want us in the end to stand. And I pray for each of these people here, Lord. There's so much content here. 
There's so much that people need to pick up and run with. But I pray, Father, that in your own way and by your Spirit, you will work in their minds and in their hearts to help them take hold of these truths and to learn what it means um, to be enabled, to be empowered to resist the devil and his power in their lives. So bless them, Lord. Bless them with all of these truths and with your word that they might, Lord God, be protected from the enemy, the enemy of their souls. God, we long for your will in our lives. So help us to put on the armor on a daily basis for your glory and for our good. And this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.